Well, pretty much since the pandemic began, we've heard all about social and physical distancing, stay two meters apart to stay safe. Well, according to a new study, that might not be enough. Here is Martin Bazant, mathematics professor with MIT and part of this new study, and he joins us now here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Professor, good afternoon. Thanks for your time. Hello. Uh, thanks for having me. All right. First off, uh, what did you find? Uh, why is distancing, why is this six feet, two meters, uh, why is it not enough? So let me explain that we not, did not find or show that the effect of distancing is not enough. And we, in fact, advocate uh, for the importance of distancing to protect against short-range transmission of COVID-19. But for so-called long-range or airborne transmission of COVID-19, distance is not as important. So let me explain uh, starting with really the two different types of transmission. So a good analogy to think of is smoking. So when you're in the presence of a person who's smoking, uh, you can see the plume of, uh, of a puff of smoke that comes out when the person exhales. If you're very close to that person, and especially if you're in the, in the, uh, in the way of that jet, you will experience a higher degree of, uh, of in, in this case, infectious particles that are being emitted by that person's breathing and hence are at higher risk. The further you are away, the better. And one meter provides uh, some uh, safety as recommended by the World Health Organization and two meters or six feet uh, gives you even additional protection from that short range risk. There's also short range risk from larger droplets that might be emitted by coughs or sneezes if a person is not wearing a mask that would block uh, such, such events. What okay, study, were you able to ascertain, sorry, or, or figure out what an optimal distance is uh, for safety then? I mean, yes, two meters, six feet provides some protection, but is there, uh, I don't know, 10 feet, uh, 15 feet? Is that kind of so, optimum? Well, so I, I can't I can't comment exactly on that because our, our as I was uh, about to, to get to, I guess our, our study focuses on the second type of transmission, which is due to small aerosol particles, which are particles that are about the size of a human cell on the scale of uh, microns. And those particles are so small that they get into the air and they don't sediment to the ground and they essentially are uh, mixed throughout an indoor space and can be breathed in by somebody else. So continuing with the analogy of smoking, this would be like secondhand smoke. So we know that when there's a smoker in the room, the smoke is significantly diluted and ends up you know, being detectable you know, on completely the other side of the room. And if you're exposed to that for a short amount of time, it might be okay, because it's a much lower concentration. But what our study addresses is the it, how the risk builds up over time. Exactly how long can you be in that space at any distance uh, and before you would expect transmissions to occur? So what we've done in this study essentially is to derive a guideline uh, to uh, assess the safety of that space um, as a function of the number of people and the time that is spent, uh, the ventilation rate, which is the uh, rate at which you're bringing in fresh air to replace the contaminated air in the room, and filtration and, and other uh, factors uh, as well. And so in that sense, we're giving quantitative guidance for this uh, additional uh, risk of airborne transmission, which is thought to be uh, important uh, for COVID-19. So is that why it's so important right now for our workplaces? As you well know, here in Ontario and in Toronto, uh, we're in the midst of a, a pretty tough uh, third wave here. Uh, when it comes to the risk of uh, transmission indoors, it's just so essential to, to be down to those uh, essential workers in, in workspaces and for essential workplaces, true essential workplaces to be the ones that remain open. 
So uh, I wouldn't necessarily say that. I think, again, that the purpose of our guideline here is to make that assessment because it depends on the individual space. So I wouldn't say that, for example, all classrooms should be closed, all grocery stores should be open, but rather on a case-by-case -case basis, we examine the size of the room, number of people typically in that space, the ventilation, et cetera. Uh, then, then you can make that assessment uh, more quantitative uh, based on this idea of uh, indoor airborne transmission through these aerosol particles. When it comes to uh, ventilation, uh, did your study, uh, did it determine what is optimum there? Because there's also been a lot of talk, uh, I know here and uh, elsewhere, about kids returning to classrooms and older schools yes. with antiquated ventilation uh, systems. Uh, is this going to help us find a new standard when it comes to uh, ventilation uh, post-pandemic? Absolutely. So this, in fact, is very much the motivation of our study, which is to guide those kinds of engineering and policy decisions. For example, should you upgrade the ventilation system? Should you install new filters? Should you limit capacity in a space? The idea is that all these variables are linked. So it's really not possible to say that there's a single cap on any of these numbers. For example, occupancy cannot exceed you know, 15 people or ventilation must be you know, six air changes per hour. Certainly, it's good to have more ventilation, fewer people, uh, and you know, shorter times. But exactly what the bound is depends on the usage of that space. So what is an adequate amount of ventilation depends, for example, on the size of the room. A really enormous room you know, allows a lot of dilution of the particles and may not need as much ventilation as a very small space where maybe also more people are crowded together at a higher density. So all those factors uh, need to be considered. But our uh, guideline and also an online tool that we provide uh, to, to apply it uh, allow one to make those decisions quantitative. When we talk about the dilution of the uh, particles, uh, Professor, is that why some of these uh, variants, and maybe this uh, research is, uh, we're still in the midst of it, but uh, why some variants might prove to be a, a little more severe and a little more easily transmissible because they don't dilute as easy, they hang in the air uh, more? So I don't think uh, that would have a direct effect. The variants, I mean, the, the, the virions, which are the capsid form of the virus, end up in infectious droplets that are formed by the fragmentation of mucus and other liquids in the respiratory tract. And those droplets end up in the air. Once they're there, really the exact strain uh, will make a big difference, actually. Of course, the viral load, how many virions there are you know, in, in the liquid can, can vary, and also how much uh, you know, mucus the person is generating, how many droplets. But uh, in general, uh, we don't uh, expect the physics of transmission to be so sensitive to the uh, specific viral strain. On the other hand, uh, if you take, for example, the B117 strain that originated in the United Kingdom, which that's estimated to be roughly 60% more transmissible than the original uh, Wuhan China strain. And so that does enter into our calculation. So, uh, you know, we have quantified the uh, disease parameters for a specific respiratory disease, in this case, uh, COVID-19. And when you go to the that other variant, then that extra factor of 60% means that you may need to have a shorter time, higher ventilation rate, et cetera, to accommodate that strain versus a less virulent, uh, a less transmissible strain. Just finally, uh, Professor, does a, a vaccine, a really good vaccine, make all of this a uh, moot? Or do you think that moving forward and post-pandemic things such as distancing and really good uh, ventilation systems, up-to-date ventilation systems, are going to be key? Well, I think, uh, you know, immunity, uh, 
due to past exposure or, uh, or vaccination is obviously very important and it is going to help us get over the pandemic and return to normal. And one thing that our guideline also helps you to assess is uh, the effect of that increasing immunity and lower prevalence, uh, which effectively gives you more time in the room, gives you higher occupancy, et cetera. Uh, now, you know, whether we still need those changes later, I think certainly, uh, you know, many of the, the, the precautions we have, you know, will go away, but uh, the general issue of protecting spaces against respiratory diseases, even seasonal flu is always important. And I think from the pandemic, we've learned a lot about airborne transmission and how to protect against it. And that will uh, continue to be important. I should mention also that, uh, you know, when we are in the midst of the pandemic, our calculation also indicates the great effectiveness of using masks to prevent uh, uh, transmission. So masks are not perfect, but they definitely uh, provide a significant uh, uh, degree of extra safety that you can calculate from our app. On the other hand, as the immunity goes up, prevalence goes down, there will come a point where the mask can come off. And our guideline also can help in making those decisions for individual spaces. Some really, really interesting findings. Professor, thanks so much for taking the time and sharing them with us here this afternoon. Appreciate it. Thank you. There goes Professor Martin Bazant, a mathematics professor at MIT.